we uh let me just tell you quickly on the screen uh on one of these two corners the the, the one that is has words on it uh, you see the on dot s4g dot biz and that crazy short link is a, a link to register so that you can uh, be in the zoom room with us uh, if you're watching on youtube and you would like to be in the zoom room to ask questions we invite you to join us the registration process begins at on.s4g.biz, and you are welcome to join us. We'd be thrilled to have you. Um, I have uh, just the most extraordinary uh, panel discussion uh, organized today, and I just couldn't be more excited about it. Rebecca Cassaba is the CEO of Dealmaker, which is one of the fastest growing companies in North America. Uh, I mean, Rebecca, you're just killing it. You're absolutely crushing it. We're thrilled to have you here to take a minute to be on the show. Um, Ian Bentley is the CEO of Parker Clay, and uh, he's working with help from Rebecca. He's in the middle of a $15 million goal of uh, crowdfunding campaign. We're excited to talk to him about that. He's got an incredible social mission. I just love what he's doing. And, and Mark Hubbard, uh, who is the managing director of Renew Venture Capital, is playing a vital role in putting that together. And so they've created and, and they are sort of walking their talk, eating the dog food, as, as folks in Silicon Valley like to say. Um, they are actually modeling the use of what uh, they've started to call a purpose round. And I'm excited to talk to them about that because their crowdfunding campaign is really centered on fulfilling their mission. So um, with that, Ian, let me invite you to just take a minute and tell us about the mission, the social purpose behind and the motivation and purpose for Parker Clay. Thanks, Devin. I, yeah, and doing it in a minute um, would be a little bit tricky, but <laughs> I can try. I did. I just got home back to California. It's where our headquarters are here in the US, but got just got back from our factory in Ethiopia, was there for actually about a month, um, a little bit longer than I'm normally there. But we, uh, so as you can imagine, we've got both a Ethiopian headquarters and a US headquarters. And it started back in 2012 when my family and I bought one-way tickets, left California, left our careers, moved to Ethiopia. And we moved there primarily to help women who had been caught in trafficking uh, and really uh, looking for a more dignified employment opportunities that was not that line of work. And we were doing skills training, job training, discovered the leather industry while we were living there and saw it uh, as primarily being exported to the world like Europe. And we thought we can create jobs for women. And the, really that was the, the, the purpose of why we were there was to create opportunities for women to thrive. And we are doing that through business. So really kind of changing the model around even aid that has been poured into the country for many, many years and shifting that to a trade model and doing business at scale. And we'll talk more about the manufacturing opportunities and all that we're doing there, but we've got a team now of about 200 people, 80% of whom are women and, uh, we are proud of, of the impact and the work we get to do every day uh, through that. 
Yeah, it, it, it is just uh, really inspiring what you're doing. And uh, I was shocked by the story when I heard it and thrilled and uh, and really uh, admire uh, the work that you've been. You've been at this a while now. It's been a decade or so since you the roots of this uh, effort began. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we officially started in 2014. That's when we set up the entity. So it's been almost 10 years. Um, I have lost all my hair and gotten a few more gray hairs. Um, and uh, working alongside my wife is the creative director of Parker Clay. Um, and we've got five kids. So very full life uh, as well. But it's uh, it's been it's an exciting time at the moment, really, for what we're doing, because a lot of the hard work we've put into the foundation over these past few years is now really ripe to scale. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Well, uh, Rebecca, as you have you know, worked with Ian, one of the things that I've observed from our past conversations about this, and we've had an opportunity to talk about it a few times, I think you have a real passion for this. Uh, I wonder if you'd tell a little bit, tell us a little bit about how you feel about this and how you're working to uh, at Dealmaker to support Ian and Parker Clay. Sure thing, Devin, happy to. Yeah, we, we're really excited about what Parker Clay is doing. I remember when we, my team first met Ian, we were so excited about the company and the mission and the way they're having such a transformative impact on Ethiopia that we were like, okay, this is one deal we've got to get for the system. We've got to win this one. So what, what DealMaker does is essentially give companies the technology infrastructure they need to raise capital digitally online. And so traditionally, my background as a capital markets attorney, I saw a lot of paperwork being exchanged in order to get capital raising done. And when the Jobs Act came out, I saw the opportunity for all of this capital raising to move online. And, you know, like Ian, it's been a a short 10-year journey where um, we've watched the legislation transform and we've really seen digital marketing take a huge foothold now in this industry and give entrepreneurs a way to communicate their message to all the four corners of the internet, to people who their message might appeal to and, and build up a community behind them. And um, I don't want to get too into it because I, I know we'll continue on to chat about it for the next hour, but it's something I'm really passionate about, the impact that people today want to have with their investments, especially when they see companies like Parker Play um, and, and they want to do things, you know, they see what Mark and Renew VC are doing. And this whole trend of impact investing is something that we're all fortunate to be a part of and get to propel forward, uh, which really just makes the world a better place and gets better businesses funded. Yeah. Well, Mark, I want to turn to you now for a second. We, we've, it's my sense, and I may be wrong, forgive me if I am, but it's my sense that you oh, played no. a really vital role in pulling this together, uh, both oh, no, your capital and, and, and your concept. So um, what, what I'd like to do is to invite you to talk a little bit about uh, your role in all of this and why it is that what Ian does is resonating with you. <clears throat> sure. Um, 
And I guess this goes back to sort of the genesis of the term purpose round for us, you know, what we were trying to accomplish. And then Ian became sort of par- part of the first use case for that, not the to- total piece, but um, but it's certainly the, the proof case for uh, for why we want to do it. Um, as Rebecca said, every, everything we do is impact. We have a venture studio and a venture capital firm. Um, and it's all either social impact companies or it's women and historically excluded founders. Um, and it, those don't have to be impact companies. And we want to, I mean, look, look, we're part of, as Rebecca mentioned, this sort of global shift, what I'd sort of call a movement. It's kind of a paradigm shift where more and more people want to align what they say they believe about the world with what their money does in it, right? Or what their effort does in it. A lot of people will shift professionally in those ways. I mean, I guess I am in some ways, it's taken me 20 years, but in some ways I'm, I'm part of that that shift as well. Um, and so, you know, we looked at the look, any, anytime you do investing, you're a, uh, you're a two sided marketplace, right? So I have in, investors that I invest on behalf of, and I have companies and founders that we invest in. Um, and so the thing we saw was really twofold, both sides of that marketplace. One, uh, that it was really frustrating that um, that only rich people, you know, only accredited investors could. I mean, they still to this day, right? In the fund, I can't take anybody who's not accredited. I have to see your tax statements. <laughs> so, like, I really can't take anybody who's not accredited. Um, and so that's frustrating, like in and of itself, just sort of from an investing standpoint, that you can't invest in early stage companies, you can't really do VC. Um, when you couple that with the idea that this is a effort to align your values with what your money does. Um, like it's a justice issue that a non-accredited investor is not allowed to do that. We're only going to let rich people do that. You know, what, what, what is the, uh, what's the power, you know, that we leave on the table in, um, in that dynamic. So that's one issue, right? Then the other was, what do we do about, and Ian can, is, will probably be okay with me saying this. There's, there's a whole lot of companies, um, that could be big, huge, successful companies that the founders are dynamic, that people want to support, that people align with aspirationally, that it's not just a product that they buy and that it's really something they want to be a part of themselves. But it's hard to figure out how you put those companies into a venture fund. Uh, um, and because they're too capital intensive or the timeline is too long or they're just, you know, not in vogue or there's systemic issues, <laughs> you know, as it comes down to like a lot of women and historically excluded founders. And so, um, how do we open pathways? How do we support path for these kinds of purpose focused right companies to um, to allow them to go raise expansion capital, real real money, you know, five, 10, 20, 70 million dollars uh, um, uh, by be able, being able to tell their story of their purpose and what they're trying to accomplish more broadly and involve a much bigger community into that discussion. Yeah. Um, I want to just pause here for a moment to uh, say a couple of things. Uh, first off, if you are here in the Zoom room with us, please, we invite you to uh, begin thinking about thoughtful questions you have for these extraordinary individuals who are on the panel today. Um, we, we're going to welcome your, your questions. You can use the Q&A function in Zoom to ask those questions most readily. Um, I also want to reiterate the invitation. If you're watching on YouTube and would like to ask a question, just hit on.s4g.biz to register and hop into the call. We'd love to have you join us here in the Zoom room where you can ask a question. So um, now uh, continuing on the discussion, uh, I hate to interrupt the flow, but uh, you know it really is, I think, um, exciting to think about what this means. Um, you know, the, the Rebecca, you've got this technology that you're deploying, and you hinted at this already, that 
allows people like Ian to begin to connect with people who are not yet part of the community. That's that's a pretty exciting thing. Tell us about your technology. Yeah, so the way we set up an offering, if you've got a brand like Parker Clay, really nice high value brand, you want to allow them to control the buying experience so that an investor coming in has the same high-end experience to buy shares as they would to buy a purse or some similar product from Parker Clay. And so we allow them to set up a standalone website with an invest now button. And our goal is to really make it as easy for investors to buy shares online as it is to buy a pair of shoes. So get them through the securities law exemption, get their payments, their investments funded, get contracts signed, get the securities law exemptions and background checks run, all very streamlined purchasing experience at the click of a button, and then allow the companies to have access to their funnel and really to treat their capital raise the same way they would if they were digitally marketing a product so they can see who their buyers are, where their interest level stems from, and they can really then start to identify the community that is interested in their capital raise and build a community around that profile and then reach more people. And our goal is to really expand this to make capital raising global so that we can right now allow people to raise across North America as well as into different other regions so that they can find all the different folks that might be interested in what they're doing and really leverage the power of the internet to its fullest capacity. It, it is exciting to think about this. Uh, and and uh, Mark, you know, it's, it, it, I kind of credit you, again, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong, but I kind of credit you with thinking of this, identifying the possibility that purpose can be a connector that, uh, Rebecca can kind of leverage with her technology to benefit someone like Ian, an entrepreneur like Ian, to attract capital. Uh, I wonder, how did you develop this idea? Because it, I, I got, I got to say, the traditional view of crowdfunding is you leverage your community to raise capital, and what you're doing is you've changed the thesis and say we're going to leverage our purpose to build a community from which we can build, raise capital. Uh, what, where did that idea come from, Mark? Yes. Like, like all my great ideas, I assume it came from somewhere else. Uh, 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 yeah, look, the, the history of the crowdfunding world, right. Started with a lot of crowd talk, right. That, that, uh, that in general, just, you know, you want to get to the people, whatever that means. And it's not a particularly strategic idea. Um, necessarily, but you just go out to the crowd. Um, and then there became this idea of community, right? That, that really, when you look at what happens in a crowdfund um, uh, scenario, what happens is really your community for the most part, right? You may broaden it some, but a lot of it is is leveraging people that were already in the community or sort of on the edges will come, come in and feel affinity for. And that's all like, that's really useful stuff. It's exciting to take a community. I mean, Ian, before you get to any purpose discussion, right? That they have this community that, that is just deeply identified with what they do. And, and, you know, th thousands and thousands of people who, who would do, who would drive anywhere or go anywhere or just, you know, to be associated with, with their business. And so that kind of crowd or community thing is useful and helpful and can, you know, help one of these campaigns be successful. My, my thought was just, um, 
uh, as great as that is, if you can take a community and you can activate that community around a purpose, um, that's a different thing. Like that is maybe it feels like a nuanced difference, but that's there's a power in that that's different than than um, than the whole rest of the of the activities. And so, therefore, yes, there ought to be an opportunity to um, to have all kinds of people who would who would who do want to do an investment. That's why you know this this bespoke landing page thing, right? That's an interesting animal because although functionally it should be as easy as buying a product right it's not quite buying a product and so but you do want to tell a story about the business and the product but you do want to tell the impact story like that's a lot of stuff to balance and a lot of needles to thread but um but if people can get into that if people can who who do want to invest in something that will be successful who want this to be part of what their you know money makes possible in the world can also then connect with this story of transformation um uh you know that's really really powerful and i do believe that that could be broadened far beyond sort of just your normal customer base uh, um and look then the flip side of a crowdfund right what's so great about that idea is that you, if you that that every person that you that you can uh align with you that wasn't a customer before um, not only do they probably become a customer, but they become, I mean, the whole process is taking taking uh, customers and community and turning them into owners and advocates. And so when they became own, owners, they become advocates in a way that could really drive sort of the underlying fundamentals of the business going forward. Um, and so it seemed to be for me like the purpose, you know, sort of the perfect storm of possibility there. Yeah. Well, it, it is exciting to think about how this has the potential to work. And of course, now, Ian, you're living in the middle of it, right? You're in the middle of this campaign. You've been, uh, you launched this, uh, I'm trying to recall, was it early this year that you you launched uh, the campaign or late last we, year? We, it was late last year. Yeah, November of last year. So uh, you've had enough of a run now, I guess, to see how it's working are you seeing actually some people who were outside your community that have been drawn in by purpose uh, to invest and then the, the parallel question and i'm curious about is are we also seeing are you also seeing those folks who come in as fresh members of the community as investors are they also becoming customers yeah we are uh the and I think the way Mark was describing it is is true. The power of community is 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 a big deal. Um, and I, I mean, I'm even reminded in coming back from Ethiopia how important community is for all of us. The word that I kept hearing over and over in Ethiopia was resilient, resilient, resilient. And sometimes, you know, you've got some people that are strong, some people that are weak. How do we help each other? How do we help each other through those challenges uh, and the good and the bad? And it's a beautiful thing that I get to see perhaps sometimes more when I'm in Ethiopia, but reminded about even here in the U.S. and other parts of the world where we have even adopted this uh, proverb that it's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we're constantly saying that. And even it's become such an ingrained part of our DNA at Parker Clay where we look through decisions with a business with regards to we go together what does that look like um and i could tell endless stories of even just this last few weeks in ethiopia of doing just that and you know what we get to do and i think even just what what mark was saying with regards to how we thread all these stories together that we are a business we're for profit 
purpose-driven business, right? We're a legal public benefit corporation, which has the idea baked into it that we are benefiting the public in some way. And so driving that purpose every day with at Parker Clay is, is essential, but we're also building, you know, an exciting business. And so the question I think that comes up as we approach the community, you know, and, and it's a little bit more of a newer idea is can you be kind of, can you focus on both profit and purpose? And I think historically we have separated these things very distinctly, right? Where we have kind of charitable giving, charitable donations, aid things that we're doing, which are not bad and are needed, but then we have for-profit, right? And then we have businesses that are just purely about profit. And I think that that has been the model for many, many years and only really, and I would say the last 10 or so years have businesses been looking at more of a purpose-driven structure. And, you know, we've seen that because we've been doing it from, from the beginning. And so I, I think that's where, as we approach the community, we get to certainly bring that out of more of our existing customers. And we've seen a significant amount of people interested in this round. For many, it might be their first type of investment like this, right? Because this is still a new space. And I think opportunities like this webinar and the education around it is important because for a lot of people, it, they just haven't had the opportunity unless they've been, like Mark said in the beginning, more of an institutional investor who has that experience. And so for customers who have been buying our bags, this might be the first type of investment. And one practical way to share that, we had a, a warehouse sale here in Santa Barbara at our warehouse. And the community came out, they were excited to buy bags, drove from kind of all over California to come. And this one woman came up to me and said, hey, I'm one of your shareholders. And she said it with a big smile, with a ton of excitement. And that just would never be possible before, right? Where she was saying it with pride as an owner. I'm, I'm a shareholder in the company. I'm excited, not just about your bags, which I love, but also being part of this in a deeper way with you. And so, you know, we have seen both the existing community base, which I think has been a big part of our strength. And that's also has brought in some new faces who have then converted to customers. Some people who maybe own businesses now kind of come in and go, hey, I want to buy gifts for my uh, employees or my clients. And so it really has allowed us to stretch uh, that out and the opportunities out with our offering, not only from the investment side, but from the product side. And that is a benefit, I would say for sure, with this type of route is if you are a consumer brand, you get to bring in this customer base. Um, and if you have product, it's also fun to share because you kind of get both investment and customers who are buying your product. Yeah, it's uh, really exciting to think about the synergy between the investment and the uh uh, the, the product sales. And uh, of course, I've dated myself just by using the 90s word synergy, but that's where, you know, it was ingrained. It was beaten. I think, you know, many of us in, in business school back in the day got it tattooed on an arm. Um, so anyway, sorry, I apologize for using the word synergy. Um, we're, But it, there is some exciting interplay between the uh, investors and the customers. Uh, Rebecca, I, I want to talk to you a little bit more broadly about 
uh, investing in these kinds of deals. Um, I know you're a broker dealer and you have to be careful. You're an attorney. You're smarter than I am. Uh, but but help us understand how sort of anyone now can invest uh, as easily almost uh, in a deal like Parker Clay. Let's be a little bit nonspecific so you can stay a little bit out of the some of the regulatory scrutiny for a minute. So you're not recommending a deal, but tell tell us a little bit about how people can get comfortable that it's okay to invest. It's it's a new thing. Ian made it very clear, right? It's new to people. How do people get comfortable with that as investors? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. And, and I will disclaim that because I'm not licensed in the broker dealer. And, and so our broker dealer helps issuer side rather than being the type of broker dealer that works for the investors. But I think what we're seeing is investors are getting comfortable with the purpose and the mission of the business. And of course, the regulations are are very well designed to make sure that investors have access to all the information they need. So they have fully standardized offering documents that tell them prescriptively about the business and the business plan and who the founders are. And there are bad actor checks run on all the founders before the offerings get set up. And then there are caps on the amount of money that investors can invest in these deals because it is supposed to be for investors to build a portfolio of investments and not, you know, bet the farm on one investment that they're making. And so what we are doing is bringing that awareness to folks so that they can participate in these kinds of offerings and build that kind of portfolio. If you look at, you know, according to Global Impact Investor Network, the impact investing global portfolio stands at 1.2 trillion assets under management. And so there's a lot of capital out there that's looking for deals like Parker Play, where people want to be making an impact, as Mark described, with their money. Um, and, and the key trends that we're seeing as part of that impact investing Ian really described the most important one to me, which is as millennials and the younger generation view the world, they don't view it the same way some of the older generations do with charity and business. And business is out to make a profit and charity does good in the world. They really see business as a better change agent than charity. And charitable, charities need to be able to have a more sustainable business model. And so the two are really blending together in a really interesting way, with Parker Clay being the perfect example of that. Um, we've also seen, you know, statistics like six out of every 10 millennials have actually done impact investing. So they know what it is. The people who do it feel good about it. They do it repeatedly. And so we see it really as this snowball that's rolling down the hill where you've now had, you know, 10 years ago, the online buying ecosystem was not what it is today. It was almost at zero. People went into bricks and mortar stores to buy everything they needed. Fast forward 10 years, that's grown into a $16 trillion industry. And so as we see investing moving online in the same way, moving out of the boardrooms and the, the you know, physical handshakes and online, We've also seen a really nice change in the types of founders that are getting funded with increased female and minority founders because of the way the messaging is being presented. So all of that to say, I think investors 
this is resonating with investors. They want to do this. We're seeing the upward trend. And the legislation has been around for over 10 years now and has gone through a number of iterations to make sure that it's safe for investors. Yeah, it's it, it is exciting to see, you know, in the last, uh, I think, seven or eight quarters, we've seen venture capital decline every quarter. You know, there's some buzz around AI and notwithstanding the buzz around AI, venture capital investments still declined. And uh, but we're seeing uh, crowdfunding and Reg A plus kinds of deals uh, are are pretty solid. We haven't seen the same declines in in that space. There, there's there are real resilience, uh, and it is exciting to see. And I, I'm hopeful that as as we get a little more confident in uh, the markets recovering, we'll see a, a real growth in uh, investment crowdfunding going on. Mark, I wonder if you would just take a minute and um, talk a little bit about. Uh, your thinking about investing as well. I, I, I want to make sure that I, I know there are entrepreneurs, and we'll come back to that. There are entrepreneurs listening who desperately want to figure out how they too can raise $15 million. Mm-hmm. But all of them are also investors and, and others are here primarily because they're interested in investing in Parker Clay or another deal. And your vision Right for this was driven in no small part by the idea that uh, ordinary investors should have the same opportunity that wealthy investors have. Talk to us a little bit about that. <clears throat> sure. Well, I mean, I could do my philosophy of investing, but the two of them just did it. So <clears throat> I'm surprised. I'm surprised they didn't share my deck um, uh, <clears throat> to, to make the point. Yeah, there, there, there has been historically this two that's you know classically called the two pocket idea right that in, in one pocket i put all the money in the world in the other pocket i give it away to make good things happen right and so that that purpose in the context of of profit is bad and distracting and profit in the context of purpose is bad and and, and distracting right and that's just not the world anymore i mean it's fine that was the world for a long time friedman messed a bunch of people up but uh, uh but it's 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 not i mean the the world now is a bunch of founders who don't see trade-offs who don't come out of the non-profit world you want to build big giant companies that do really well that have purpose at the center of what they do that that um that it's not uh uh it's not the purpose is a distraction from the profit it's that i make my profit via like what are you talking about like the purpose drives my profit like those aren't competing ideas and i won't like give up all my profit because that's the business and that's what makes the purpose possible. Like, what are you even talking about? Right? Like they don't even know how to, how to put it in that context. And that's how younger investors are too, right? Like that's the way they, they want to, uh, uh, they want to think about things. And so, um, so yeah, that's just, that is a sort of a, a newish idea, but it's now the water everybody swims in and everybody better adjust. You know, I, I always attribute to this. I've always heard it attributed to Mark Andreessen. Um, you know, fellow, fellow purpose warrior, um, who said that, uh, 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 you know, impact companies were, um, were like houseboats, right? They're not a good boat and not a good house. Um, and my response was always, that seems like kind of weird from coming from somebody who spends a bunch of time on a yacht. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both a good house. And a good house. Um, and so I, you know what, I guess, guess what? There's companies like Parker Clay that are both good houses and good boats. And, uh, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. And so, um, uh, so yeah, so that is the, 
that is the future. Uh, um, and I think we're just going to see sort of a massive sh shift. And although this is new, you know, it, I, I, you know, it's my job generally to, to, to break up assumptions, <laughs> although this is new and it's hard. For, like, I don't, uh, had you watched any of the meme stock stuff that happened in the last couple of years? I mean, nobody had heard of Robinhood before and, and everybody's got a mutual funds and everybody knows what the stock market is and everybody owns private shares and companies and people want to go to Berkshire Hathaway's, you know, annual, we're like, no, this isn't new. This is a, this is a high, highly regulated marketplace for people to do what they constantly do all the time. Otherwise in other places, um, it just opens up a little slice of the market, right? It opens up this early stage, mid-stage growth stage uh, investment in private companies that you didn't have access to before, and now you do. So, so take all that comfort you have from all the rest of it, right, and apply it to this new asset class that you just were cut out of before. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's an in interesting point. You know, a meaningful <clears throat> part of diversification is to uh, add some private assets to the the mix of things that you're holding. So that's a great, great point. Uh, now, uh, Ian, as, as you think about your offering, I wonder if you would just take a minute with, you know, we've been kind of talking about the focus on investors and you more than anyone are authorized to, to speak about your deal. <laughs> Tell us why you would like, why you think it's a good a good idea for an investor to, to participate. Yeah. No, thanks for that opportunity to share that. Look, the one of the wealthiest individuals on the planet right now is in the fashion space. Actually, he is the wealthiest individual on the planet. And it's only been, I would say, in the last 20 or so years that, you know, or 20 plus that that's really kind of launched into the stratosphere with what he's done. The fashion space is really exciting. Africa is really exciting. And when we look at it through this lens, when we were living in Ethiopia, it was really an aha moment where everything we were talking about, profit, purpose, all those things really aligned. When I'm there and, and my family and I are working really towards this effort of saying, hearing over and over from women saying, we don't want handouts. We want jobs. We want opportunities. And when we discovered this raw material, which source, think about 10 years ago, we, we didn't know where things were made or how they were made. We weren't looking at tags. This whole awakening of the conscious consumer was, was born about 10 years ago. And it wasn't just a moment in time. It's a movement. And the movement has been picking up a lot of energy over these last 10 years to the point where, even as Rebecca said, with millennials and younger generations, they are investing and spending where their values are. And I think that that is seen today more than ever before in history. And so when we created Parker Clay, we both looked at it and said, in order, and just to build on what Mark was saying, in order to have the impact we want to see in the world, which we believe women should not have to compromise and choose these really terrible you know, routes to provide for themselves and their families. And if we can change that through economic empowerment, then watch out because these women are reinvesting 90% of their incomes back into their communities, into their families. Their, their kids' lives are going to change. Schools are going to change. These are the next leaders of the world. It's a good investment. And if we can make really beautiful products that, frankly, the world wants, then 
the combination of those things are so powerful. We're in a space which is approaching $300 billion uh, in terms of the, the market. So the leather space for fashion brands, both in bags and shoes, kind of become the, the cornerstone of and building blocks of these fashion brands. And when it comes to Africa, it's an exciting, exciting time. I, I, I really cannot stress this enough. For me, being spending weeks and months of my year in, in Ethiopia and in East Africa, the manufacturing world is changing dramatically. If you think about the Industrial Revolution, at the peak, it was about 20 million jobs. And right now, there is a shift happening of about 100 million manufacturing jobs that are leaving China and looking for a new home. And when you think about Africa, by 2050, a quarter of the population is going to live on the continent of Africa. These are incredibly resourced, capable, young, vibrant workers that are looking for opportunities. And so when we look at Africa, we're also, and that's what, that's what is exciting about Parker Clay is that it's not just the brand that is selling into a, a market that is approaching 300 billion. We're also a brand that have taken on the manufacturing opportunity to become vertically integrated. And so we have opportunity as a manufacturer and as a brand to really press in to this market. And we've got the track record. We're 20 plus million uh, in historical sales where we have, again, we've been selling and creating opportunity primarily here in the US and starting to tiptoe into international markets as well. And so there is a lot of very exciting pieces that this raise and why we're doing it, one is to bring the community into it. This would be our typical series A round. And to say, rather than going that traditional institutional round, we want to bring the community to be part of this with us because we see where we're going. We see the potential of building this company into a multinational, really significant brand that can compete on the global level with the other well-known fashion brands of the world who by the way, might be buying leather from Ethiopia, but stamping made in somewhere else with it. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're excited to bring people into that story with us, to be part of this with us. And truly, again, live up to that value of we go together, um, where you get to be part of it, not just from a financial side with the investment, but also the impact side. And we are absolutely, and I can tell you that just literally coming back days from Ethiopia, the ways that we are transforming lives is, is humbling. It's just humbling from my position to be part of that and to see, you know, we had a, we had, I'll give you an example. We had a, a celebration that we've created this called, we call it our center of excellence where women can come in with no experience in the leather industry. We can give them job training, skills training along with it. We've partnered with a local bank called Anat, which means mother. And they do financial literacy training. We have a subsidized lunch program. We have a food pantry where we subsidize meals. We have a huge bus that we transport people to back and forth from uh, home to work because transport's a problem, challenge. And we also consistently look at livable wages in the country and are constantly leveling up with regards to that because inflation is a challenge for them. So we take all these, these 
impact pieces, and we set that as a priority. We've also become one of the highest ranked uh, certified B Corps, and we're the top in the world in terms of the leather space. And that also allows us to, to be third-party accredited with regards to this impact. So it's not just us saying it, it's saying, hey, we're putting, we're, we're, we're putting our proof uh, out through this accreditation as well. And we're really, part, we're really proud of that. And the vision really for us is to create millions of opportunities, not only through Parker Clay, but through the network and showing people that, that the opportunities uh, here are endless with regards to these women and what can happen in a place like Ethiopia and Africa. Um, so that's, you know, that's where we're at. And we're excited to be able to offer this to the community, to those people that are listening in. Um, and also, you know, I just want to add in with Mark, Rebecca, and even Devin, you as well, you guys are part of that community and really grateful for the contributions that you guys make um, in lending your voice and the efforts because what we're doing and the power of this whole thing is really, we go together. And I think that it is an exciting time where we get to prove that we can do this and put really meaningful opportunities in front of people, not just from the investment side, but from the impact side. And I can tell you, cause I've been on both a nonprofit and a for-profit siloed space that this space that I'm in now is I've never been more motivated and on fire to work towards the success of this mission and purpose. Um, and I think that we're going to see more people who are aligned with those things, motivated and doing similar um, things as well. That's great. Um, we've got a great question that came in from Gretchen. She said, um, do you foresee institutional investors making this mind shift toward purpose investing? Or will it take continuous Reg CF and Reg A growth to lead this new investment world? Um, Mark, maybe we could start with you and then Rebecca and Ian, maybe you can close us out on this. But I think it's a great question. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they have really. <laughs> um, uh, uh, if you're old like me, uh, you remember a, a 2010 research report <clears throat> um, from JP Morgan. Um, Back when sort of social, you know, that long ago, right? So it was sort of a social entrepreneurship, social enterprise. We didn't quite know what the thing was yet. And the argument was that whatever this thing was, this impact thing um, could potentially be a trillion dollar asset class. That was their argument someday. Um, and you know how asset classes work. Asset classes are like defined verticals of kinds of companies. So small companies, big companies, uh, um, other kinds of assets, real estate, right? That's an asset class. And so they said there could be one of those that's impact. Um, depending on how you define impact now, um, it's something like a 20 to $50 trillion market. Um, and so they were wrong, <laughs> but they were wrong because what they, what we found out is that it's not the institutional world did not respond to it as an asset class. How we responded to it is as a lens, right? And so it didn't, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to invest in small cap stocks and impact stocks. It was, how do I look at small cap stocks? through the lens of impact investing because in the institutional world all impact framework is is risk adjusted return framework so they're trying to say what are the risks that are associated you know with with this if i don't look at the impact pieces of it and so it's become this lens now what i think so interesting about cf and reggae and what i do right early stage investing um, is that you can do that 
you know, on a big global scale, it's just really hard. Like it's hard to figure out how you run a giant multinational corporation in a way that's ethical. And like, it's just hard, especially if you're trying to turn those around and you have things like ESG and then the backlash ESG and right. And, um, and so that's difficult. It's incredibly important. Everybody need there need to be brilliant people working in that world. I just sort of punt on that and say, you know, where it's not all that complicated is in relatively early stage investing. Um, look at the kind of control and focus that Ian's able to have, right? Because of this company is what it is and because it's at the size and, and stage that it is. And then we can help them build companies, right? That look different in the end than the ones that maybe we have now, even when they're big and giant. And so that's just to me more satisfying, a more interesting sort of place to play to sort of one-to-one almost what I believe with, with what I'm making happen. Um, and so, yeah, the institutions do do it. It's just a more complicated sort of world in the big high end global national. Yeah. Uh, great, great thoughts. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to add anything to that? I think Mark well covered it. So the only thing I would add is what we see is typically people really connecting to the specific purpose of the company. And I think Reg ACF gives an investor the ability to connect very on a very personal level. And so when you see impact investing in a fund, it's going to be certain high level define parameters, whereas an individual can say, I love what Ian's doing in Ethiopia, and that mission speaks to me, so I want to invest in that company versus like a bucket of companies that have a certain mission. One other thing that I want to add that that Ian jogged in my mind that I want to call out, I think it's really interesting how he said, it's our Series A, but we're about community, and so we're going to choose to do this. There are a lot of companies historically who have similarly made that choice, who think the way Ian thinks. A lot of people don't know that Peloton, huge company today, started out as a kick, as a as a crowdfunding campaign. And you've got companies like Substack, you know, going out around a Series B saying, we're a community-driven company, and so we want to do this. Um, everything down to, you know, the Green Bay Packers, an NFL team who says we're all about our community, we're fan owned, and they're the number one brand in the NFL, uh, because they've been doing this for over 60 years. So it is out there, it is a trend that's happening. A lot of those stories we need to just bring to light so people understand that people do think this way and feel this way. Yeah, great. great I think if, Devin, if I could add to I think, you know, what's interesting, too, is it's more touchable. Like it's more connected in that in the sense, like I'm available. If anyone has questions, reach out. Right. Like, I, and I think with these bigger investments and it, you, you typically, it feels more unreachable or untouchable. And like the woman coming up to me and saying, Hey, I'm one of your shareholders. That's so exciting. Or I get emails from people saying, I just invested. I respond. We communicate. I love that. And I think that's another piece that's really powerful because, again, we were, I just believe also as a philosophy, we were designed to be in community together. And this is just one more extension of doing just that. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Carl Dakin has uh, uh, asked a great question. And, uh, Ian, I'll ask you to tackle this first. And then, uh, Rebecca and Mark, you may want to jump in and add something. But uh, the question is how are you attracting people to become investors? Messaging, communication channels, targeting investor candidates. D- describe some of the real tactics at the at the practical level, Ian. Yeah, it's a good question. We've been learning a lot since we've started. Um, having a community is 
is a huge opportunity to start with, right? So we've sold to, like Mark said, thousands of customers. We've been doing this for about 10 years. So we've got a really strong customer base that's highly engaged. These are reoccurring customers, people who are coming back, sharing with friends and family. So that's a huge piece. But what we've recognized too is that buying a bag and investing in a company, those are a bit different. And so we've had to cater some of that communication that's a little bit different, right? And I think we've grown. One of the but one of the most powerful things that you can have is to bring in, I think, a community into that. I think outside of that, one thing that we've been uh, experiencing and experts at is just the way that we do paid advertising and outreach and things like that. Um, and you know, sometimes think we try things and it works. Sometimes we try things and it doesn't work. And so it's a constant iteration around the types of things we're doing. I, I think what's most important is setting up a, and if you're a kind of a digital marketer, you have this mindset, but there's also this idea of, you know, broader outreach campaigns. And then you have multiple touch points that you continue to follow up with someone. And that's one thing that DealMaker is helpful with too, is that it's easier to kind of automate some of that communication. But I think email, phone calls, um, if you have product, being able to send product out to people has been really helpful, I think at its core. And then on top of that, you can experiment with paid advertising and certain things like that. You just, I think as you mature in any of the campaigns, and that's one of the things that we've seen is as we've brought in more from the campaigns, then we can kind of continue to invest uh, into it and try some more of those things out. So those have probably been the core pieces. Fantastic. Rebecca, do you want to add anything in terms of those tactics or Mark? I think that that's all through. Primarily, it's the website as the main communication vehicle. And then the email really is the primary form of communication. Um, SMS to a certain extent or other different, you know, voicemail, I think direct voice on voice contact. Um, presentation info sessions where people can understand and really get a deep dive on the company and and really connect with the founder and understand the founder's mission, all like a Zoom conference. All those are communication methods that folks are experimenting and trying. Excellent. Mark, anything you want to add? Uh, no, I mean, the, the uh, DealMaker is a good example of, of uh, believing that that kind of stuff's important. I mean, they 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 bought, you know, what what they would argue, what a lot of people would argue was sort of the premier marketing firm, right? To to go out and tell stories to make it part of a vertically in, integrated approach. I mean, when, so you know, for us, so Purpose Rounds isn't a company; uh, um, uh, it's just a category we're trying to help define, right? It's it's if if you're a, a historically excluded founder, or a woman founder, or you're doing you know an impact thing, and you're doing one of these reg A's, right? We def, we would define that sort of as a, trying to raise a round of funding with purpose. That's a purpose round, and so um, so we chose to engage um, by saying, look, look, we have resources, and so why don't we come alongside founders, right, who want to do this? Come alongside company operators who want to do this because um, one thing about it is that it can be sort of semi-complicated. You have there's a bunch of vendors. I mean, what dealmakers done so well is say, well, we'll in-house 
some of those, right? So it's a much more seamless kind of approach. So they have a transfer agent, and they, but you still have a lawyer, and you still have an auditor, and you right. So, so it still can be kind of complex. And number two, it can be expensive. I mean, you write a check to all those people, uh, um, and you know, Ian can attest to. You can be a hugely successful company doing really, really well for a long time, and you don't just pull sort of free money out of your ear um, to make things happen. That's a you know that can be a real challenge. So we just said, why don't we help try to take those two things off the table? Number one, why don't we try to come alongside and sort of help do some top level management so it's a little bit um, easier to manage the vendors and then number two why don't we use some of our capital and just fund the whole thing um, in a model that gets us that money back at some point so we can help somebody out somebody else out too but how do we take all the all that you know how do I come up with the money off the table and just provide the money um, and that then opens up the ability to do things like marketing and and you know focusing on um, on storytelling in a way that you maybe would be you know have a hard time swallowing otherwise yeah well, our time is is up, and uh, it, this has just been a fascinating discussion for me. And uh, I'm I'm grateful for all of your insights and for you making the time. I'm grateful to those who joined us today to hear what you're saying. Before we wrap up, let me uh, invite each of you to just take a minute and share a closing thought, a brief closing thought. We just have a minute or two, but uh, why don't we go, uh, Rebecca, Mark, and then Ian. Pleasure here to talk about impact investing, and I think the snowball's rolling down the hill. That's a great message. Great message, Mark. Any any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts. Uh, um, uh, Invest.parkerclay.com. <laughs> that was my thought, Mark. No, now you got to come up with something. You're the you're the. Mine too, but I can't yeah. say. No, no, you're not the same. <laughs> Every, everybody I mean, look, would feel weird about it. I'm, like the, I'm the one person who could just come out and say it. I, I love that. You'll see if you go on LinkedIn, Mark often will do that on my post uh, in case I miss it. So I I, look, I'm, I'm, I'm honored for anyone who is listening or, or part of this that you would consider investing. Um, we're in kind of the, the tail end of our, our last few months of this round. And so we're going to be making a big push to bring in um, the the hopefully the final amounts of what we're hoping to raise. So would love to have you check out the site best.parkerclay.com and email me. Uh, you can email me direct ian at parkerclay.com. Any questions and uh, happy to to chat more about what we're doing or questions about uh, these types of rounds. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you, uh, all three of you. I'm extremely grateful for your time. I, I, you know, the insights that you're providing are profoundly important, and it is exciting to think. It truly is exciting to think for social entrepreneurs and diverse founders to think about the possibility that the very purpose that motivates and drives them is enabling their success uh, and is not a friction, but is is a tool for accomplishing success and raising capital. Um, uh, to those of you who attended today, I want to thank you very much, whether you're watching on YouTube or elsewhere and uh, or whether you're here with us in Zoom. We thank you very much for being here. I invite you to, to visit uh, thesupercrowd.com to check out our upcoming future events. Uh, we will be holding three in-person events this fall and early winter. Um, we're at the earliest stages of planning, but it looks like we'll be in Salt Lake City, in Baltimore and perhaps Northern California later this year. And we will continue doing the Super Crowd Hour once a month. Uh, and so our next Super Crowd Hour will be on uh, August 19th, I think. Let's, let me just double check. August 16th, excuse me. 
August 16th. So four weeks from today, we'll see you here again. So thanks, everybody. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.